you're listening to the 66 Podcast, a podcast where we go through the books of the Bible one at a time in a three-step process we read, think, and apply. Thank you for listening to us today. We are going to be in Daniel chapter 2, so if you're sitting down studying and you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up there. If you're driving down the road, please do not open up your Bible. Uh, just listen, and we will we'll walk through it for you, uh, but before we get into our little read section where we're going to give you an outline of what we're about to read. Uh, Again, that's Daniel 2, which is a really familiar chapter, I think, to everyone. It kind of almost, you know, sets the stage for a lot of things that happen later in the book, especially uh, the scenario we find with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But there's, there's a lot of really cool stuff in this chapter, interesting stuff to get into. But before we get there, uh, we are really excited to have our third ever guest with us today, um, the world-renowned youth and family minister from just on the other side of town uh, in Gardendale, Alabama. We have Jordan Ware with us today. Yep. It's good to have you with us, Jordan. It's good to be here. You know, uh, we're really looking forward to some deep insights today. So, yeah, No pressure, but yeah, you need yeah. to contribute big time to the discussion. Yeah. And I guess Andrew and I need to talk less to allow Jordan in on the conversation. I'll talk less. You can. Hour I'll just sit and make notes. You guys can talk. Two hour. The only complaint we get is that it's too long, mm-hmm. which I refuse to accept that. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, we're glad to have. We, we want to do this more, have a third guy in. Mm-hmm. We just, uh, we're so unpredictable about when we're going to record it. We're yeah. not very good about scheduling people with. Jordan was here for a meeting, and so we were glad that he could join us today and hope this won't be the last time. Uh, We're on Daniel chapter 2, and if we were to give this a a title, which I guess we are going to give it a title, I I would call it Nebuchadnezzar's Dream. Uh, It's not the first dream Nebuchadnezzar will have, but it's the one everybody thinks about when they think about Nebuchadnezzar. Who was Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon, Last episode, we talked about how Daniel came to be in Babylon. He came to be in Babylon to uh, be a part of Nebuchadnezzar's courts. And uh, he served the position, I guess we would call it, advisor. Mm -hmm. Um, He was one of many. And he was in this kind of strange category of an advisor that included a lot of frauds, magicians, Necromancers, soothsayers. soothsayers. I'm sure in this chapter, well, if you look at verse 2, there's a list of magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, uh, those kinds of people. And of course, a lot of that kind of stuff was contrary to the law of Moses. Daniel was a prophet, right? He wasn't mm-hmm. a soothsayer. Uh, so, Which, to the mind of a, a king that has, you know, like eight gods that he serves. Daniel, in his mind, is just another one of the conjurers of a certain god. Um, There's some evidence to that. Yeah, until the events of this chapter. I think, hopefully, Daniel set himself apart, or God set Daniel apart through the the miracles of this chapter. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar makes um, some statements according to that line of thinking, I believe. Yeah, and this Nebuchadnezzar was a really interesting character. Uh, one of one of my favorite Bible characters, not because I have a lot of respect for him, but because he was he's he, he was already crazy, 
And then when we get to Daniel chapter 4, we'll see how he really went nuts. Um, yeah. Just some interesting stories about this man, and most of the stuff we know about him comes, most of the biographical information comes from Daniel. Uh, so Daniel 2 takes place in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. And verse 1 says, his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. So he calls all of these advisors in. I don't think Daniel was in the first summons, um, but he called in the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, and they were to tell his dream. And listen to what he said in verse 3. He said, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. And the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream. And we will show the interpretation. So you kind of get a hint of their game here. They're kind of like these people on TV or fortune tellers or palm readers. Uh, give me a little information about it and I'll make up, I mean, I'll give you the interpretation. That's kind yeah. of how that was. Yeah. You know, you, you give me a dream, I'll tell you what it means. No problem, King. And there, there seems, there's something here that makes me think that Nebuchadnezzar was wise to what they had been doing because he says this, um, verse 5, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Now, we haven't seen anything like this since the Persian king who said, uh, You help those people or I'll tear down your house and impale you on one of its beams. This is kind of the the way these ancient kings dealt with, with people who were trying to fool around with them. They didn't just kill them. They found interesting ways to kill them. And so he's he's wise to them. He, I, There is a school of thought that says that Nebuchadnezzar didn't know what the dream was. He was just troubled. Mm-hmm. But I think reading between the lines, he knew what the dream was. And that was going to be his litmus test as to whether or not they were real prophets or not. You, you tell me the dream... And you tell me the interpretation, or you're going to die a horrific death. That's that's basically what he says to them. So, of course, they have no idea, because they're all frauds, and they're about to be killed. So what did they do when they're about to be killed? Verse 13, they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them, and then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to the captain the king's guard. He said, uh, why is the decree so urgent? And uh, that's the first time Daniel learns what's going on. And so he makes a request to see the king at an appointed time and show him the interpretation. So then you have uh, Daniel finally having his chance to go to the king. uh, And he says to the king in verse 27, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers. There are some other names in there that kind of tell you what these guys were up to. Uh, None of them have been able to do what the king has asked. I love this verse in verse 28. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. Uh, And so he starts to tell the dream. And basically, verse 31, it's about an image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. 
The head of the image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And then as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. There's the dream. So he took care of the first part of the problem. He named the dream. He wasn't going to get his arms torn off of his torso. Yeah. Okay, so, But he still needed to give an interpretation. And so I'm going to kind of paraphrase the interpretation because yeah. the way Daniel writes a lot of times or who, whoever wrote this, uh, there's a lot of reputation and, and rep, repetition mm-hmm. and reputation. Yeah. Uh, but basically, he says each one of those metals that comprised the statue stood for a different empire. Right, yeah. Do we want to go different into what kingdom. the empires are here, or do we want to save that? We'll save I mean, it for he, section two. Okay, we'll save it. But there's four, there's gold. Help me out with this. Gold, silver, bronze, and then iron, iron the legs. mixed with clay. Yeah. The feet and the clay. From top to bottom, and it's chronologically arranged where the oldest of the empires is the head. And he tells Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. Right, he does do that. starts with Babylon. So he can can tell that one because they're in that day and time. But he does not reveal in the reading what the other three empires would be. But he says, you're the head, Babylon... But then there will come another uh, empire, and then another, and then another. And in the days of those kings, the kings of uh, iron and the kings of clay, in the days of those kings, verse 44, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it the the kingdom that is represented by the stone, it shall stand forever. He says, Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Nebuchadnezzar is impressed. He falls on his face, and he pays homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be brought up to him. And then he said, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. So Daniel gets high honors and gifts, and he's made ruler over the whole province of Babylon, Mm -hmm. um, chief prefect over all the wise men. And uh, Daniel makes this request at the end of chapter 2, Uh, which causes his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon while Daniel could remain in the king's court, which is he wanted to stay near to the king. There's a lot of interesting things to discuss there. We're kind of holding back. Uh, I want to mention one thing. When I read through this the first time today, I was thinking when the king made the decree that all the wise men were going to be killed and they were gathering them together... I was trying to think of how he's going to get out of it because we've discussed so much the law of the Medes and Persians, which yes. changes not. Yeah. So it's a good thing that this was still under Babylonian rule, right? And not 
uh, Medo Persia because they would have all died or something. I think I mean, he would have killed them. I think yeah. he would have done it. Uh, this is a brutal dictator, and you know, you read this. Your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, and and you you start thinking this Nebuchadnezzar, he's a believer. Daniel converted Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm. But then he's just this horrible person later on. Yeah. And so a lot of that is just eloquent rhetoric. A lot of that is just uh, the polytheism of the time. Yeah. Um, right. They threw these titles around pretty loosely in those days. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the same time, you know, when we did Jeremiah... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was called God's servant, but yeah. he not like Daniel was. He was his servant of destruction and wrath. Yeah, to Cyrus tear down the was city. also mentioned as the anointed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that so, was from Isaiah, not from Jeremiah. Right. The Jeremiah ones was I think it's Jeremiah twenty five eleven where Nebuchadnezzar is called God's servant, and then you have in Isaiah forty four and forty five Cyrus's. The anointed one. But even yeah. with Cyrus, he said, you will... Not know my name. Yeah, you will not know my name, but you will do my will. Something like that. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar seems closer to God than even Cyrus. Yeah, because he has another... I mean, next week when we do chapter 3, he'll have another episode where he gives God glory. And then the, the, the biggest one's actually in chapter 4, don't you think? Yeah, right before where where he, he gets is so exiled. proud and God God yeah. uh, strikes him, um, humbles him yeah, because him of his pride. So he's treating him like you know one of his own there. So Nebuchadnezzar is a puzzling figure. You know, I don't know if we ever really get the answer how close he was to God, but this is the first you know biography on him that we get. It's a pretty interesting chapter on it. We'll come back in a little bit. Talk more about it. Take a break for now. Okay, so as we come back for the second part of the podcast, we want to dig a little deeper into chapter 2. We're going to get a lot of great application from this in chap or in the second part of the podcast as well. So, if we don't, if we skip something in this section, it's probably coming in section three. Yeah, uh, there's so much in this dream of Nebuchadnezzar that we want to take this whole section just to get through the dream. And if you're using this podcast to help you with class prep, if you're teaching a class on Daniel two this week or next week, odds are that's why you're here is to figure out. Uh, who these kingdoms are that Daniel is referring to. And we, to make a long story short, I'll give you the short version and then we'll dive into it. There's two big camps in scholarship nowadays. Uh, One camp is that this prophecy is wrong because it points to uh, the time of the Christ being the time of the Greeks. Uh, See Alexander the Great, uh, that time period. Uh, and then there's the other school of thought, which is the correct school of thought, that this points to uh, Rome as being that fourth kingdom mentioned that the time of Christ is going to come with the Roman Empire. How do they? How do they get to Greece? Well, they they split out 
Media and Persia as two yeah. separate. Instead of saying the Persians and Medes are one together. That's a stretch, though. Oh, yeah, I it's mean, a huge stretch. The Medes never really dominated as no. an empire. No, of um, course not. But uh, that's that's the short version. long version is we start off with this head of gold. And this one's really easy because Daniel just tells Nebuchadnezzar to his face that he is the head of gold. So Babylon is represented by the head. And so everybody agrees there, but it's when we move on where you'll find a little bit of difference. And we won't take the time to explain all the thinking for that other school we mentioned. But yeah, but we'll I got an idea. You know, when you sit there and start looking in, Maybe the problem is that after Babylon, verse 39, a kingdom inferior to you shall arise. Yeah. Uh, and maybe they don't like thinking of Persia as inferior to Babylon. But, yeah. I mean, that, that, I, and there's, that just means so many things. They want to make Greece the fourth one because verse 41, where he talked about the fourth one, they, they say it's divided. Um, where is it? Verse 43... Uh, they yeah, will mix, the but they will not hold together, and they make a point about the city-states of Greece. But um, all issues that definitely fit the bill for uh, for the fourth one, they all fit for Rome. Uh, and then for the second even one... Even better, I yeah, think. Yeah, much better. But let's just let's there, move... Yeah, everybody's confused, right? So we need to go through yeah. this orderly. Yeah, so start it. We mentioned the head is gold of Babylon, because Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar... You are the head of gold. And then we move on to the uh, chest and arms. Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, that's a segue. Yeah, I'm trying to... I don't want to dominate this whole thing. Over to you, Drew. Over to you, Jordan. Okay, so now we got Uh, Drew Jordan. Well, so uh, the, the next kingdom, as biblical history shows, is Persia. You know, the Medes are never... The Medes are mentioned alongside of Persia... Or even as in subjugation to Persia, but uh, they're not mentioned as a major kingdom that comes next. So, yeah. really, Cyrus the Great defeated Babylon, um, and so Persia would be the the chest and arms of silver. Right. And then after Persia, there was Greece, which mm-hmm. would be the belly and the thighs of iron. No, right. of uh, bronze. Uh, bronze. Bronze. Yeah. The belly and thighs of bronze. That's Alexander the Great. We're getting closer and closer to New Testament times. Mm -hmm. And then uh, everybody knows that after Greece there was Rome. And Rome, I think, does fit this description amazingly of iron and clay, soft clay mixed in with iron. Yeah. And, And to me, the best illustration of that, since we are more familiar with this than other parts of history, being Bible students, is Judea. Judea was soft clay, you know, and politically speaking, Rome was was iron. Yeah. And Judea had some ruling functions. I mean, the Sanhedrin was intact during Jesus' day, mm-hmm. uh, but they were paying taxes to Rome. Uh, they had judicial functions, uh, had some exceptions, uh most familiar being capital punishment, which is why they had to go ask uh, Pontius Pilate if they could execute Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know, that's an example of the iron uh, lording over the clay. And I wonder how many so, other cities like Jerusalem are out there. 
Oh you know, yeah, they were all doing over their own thing, but all throughout answer to Rome. Yeah, Rome was one of those, and this is a big air quote, benevolent rulers. I mean, they weren't yeah. benevolent because you know in AD seventy they just destroyed Jerusalem, much yeah. in the same way that Babylon had destroyed Jerusalem. But unlike Babylon, they did not when they came into power did not take everybody captive and put them in concentration camps. Uh, they let them keep their government as long as they paid their taxes and changed the rules up a little bit. Uh, but the Jews would never really submit. And uh, so it was definitely an iron and clay situation. Yeah. Just through the the magnifying glass of the Gospels. When you see that. Mm-hmm. What is a magnifying glass? Yeah. The lens. lens. Is that what I was trying to say? Yeah, that's, a, that's a lens. Um, it's a magnifying lens to the lens. But I think it fits thing, well. Yeah, and the, the thing that makes it fit for every Christian reading this, every believer in Scripture that reads it, is the final piece of the puzzle here, and that's the stone that was cut from a mountain uh, in verse 45 that breaks the whole thing down. That's the kingdom that Daniel says God is going to... or That, that little stone then turns into a mountain uh, that takes over... It says grows into the whole earth, fills the whole earth, and he's talking about a kingdom in verse 44. In those days, uh, God, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. And he's talking there about the same kingdom that John is going to come and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Exactly. Yeah. So this is the church that's coming this is yeah. the kingdom which happens during the time of Rome. Yeah. So the fourth one, whichever way you slice it, number one has to be Babylon. Number four has to be Rome. Uh-huh. Two and three, I mean, you can say to a high degree of certainty that that's Medo-Persia and Alexander with the Greeks. Uh, but two and three, are they really super important for this? No. I guess for short notes, number one being Babylon, obviously, and then number four being the time of Christ. And I think one thing that kind of maybe better explains it, as you continue to go through Daniel, uh, you get to Daniel chapter 8, when you kind of have some reoccurring visions kind of there, mm-hmm. all of the same purpose. Yeah. And in Daniel chapter 8 and 21, uh, is it verse 21? Yeah. You kind of have, uh, excuse me, verse 20. The Medes and the Persians were tied together. And so if you were trying to take that and split those up, uh, when you get further on into Daniel, uh, things don't line up. And so you kind of have to lump those together. So I kind of think that kind of better lies it out. Yeah. Um, kind of taking the book from a whole, you kind of better understand that. But Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Did you say 28? Because I see in Verse 820, 20, yeah. The ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And then you That's have... That's a one animal, two horns. Yeah. So you shouldn't break Media out. Of that whole thing. And in verse 21 kind of tells you it's Greece. So yeah, know, because of that, you can kind of have a better understanding. So if you're trying to take it here and trying to put it into a different context from the whole book, you're, you're going to have problems. Yeah. There's, uh, I think That's I counted about three really important things that point to the, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the church. Uh, first of all, you know, in the days of those kings plural, kings, um, you know, 
Babylon, I don't think, was a time where there were kings in the plural. Um, but when you get to Rome, you've got, you know, again, just going back to Jesus' trials, uh, Pontius Pilate sends him over to King Herod. Yeah. And King Herod sends him back to Pontius Pilate, who is kind of a, a little king himself. Yeah. And then he's got to go before Annas and Caiaphas, who are high priests. And so you have all these king types, and of course all of them are under... Uh, who was king during the crucifi- uh, emperor during crucifixion? Tiberius. Uh, so you had the, the, the big Roman emperor... So you have all these kings. You have a plurality of kings during the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and during the time of the establishment of the church. Uh, And so it points to the time of Christ's coming, which reminds me of 1 Peter 1, where uh, in verses 10 and following, Peter says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And then he goes on to say it was revealed to them that they were serving out themselves with you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which angels long to look. So, I, you know, we're, we've got to have some prophecies in the Old Testament, not only about the person of the Christ, but of the time of the Christ, yeah. And I think Daniel two forty four, and as we will see later on, Daniel chapter 7, are two of those big prophecies that have to do with time. There are not a whole lot of them, but they're, they're, I mean, that's pretty, you know, some could say, well, it didn't give you the exact date or whatever, but hey, what do you want? I mean, yeah. this is, uh, what date do we put on this? Five something B.C.? Mm-hmm. Five something, five hundred something. <laughs> yeah. Just trying not to say anything ridiculous. You know, five fifties BC, something yeah. like sixth well, century we're getting, BC. We're getting really close to when uh, Persia takes over Babylon. We're really close to that because when we get to chapter, uh, you know, it's Nebuchadnezzar. Well, there's a few kings after Nebuchadnezzar. It's just his right? son, right? Is it just yeah, Belshazzar? Belshazzar, yeah. And yeah. then when he. Belshazzar at the end of chapter 5 is killed and Darius the Mede receives the kingdom. Um, uh-huh. So by the time so we get to over. Daniel 6, Babylon yeah. is done with. Yeah. So this is the very beginning of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. So we've got, you know, we don't have that much longer. We have, how long did Nebuchadnezzar rule? Not very, very long. I mean, I thought you were going to look that 40 up. 40 years at the most. I want to say 40 something years. Somebody listen to this and leave a comment and tell me I was wrong, uh, how how off I was, but well, without having the regardless, it was a, over five hundred years before the birth of Jesus Christ, and Daniel saying there's going to be four empires, and within the time of the fourth empire, the Christ is coming, the kingdom is coming. That's pretty amazing. That's not like Nostradamus saying. You know, the wind will blow and clouds will billow, and at that time the dragon will... I, I don't know what Nostradamus saying, but it's all <laughs> yeah, open to interpretation. I mean, this is this is really detailed uh, information about the time. And then we get to chapter 7. It's going to get even more detailed. Of course, that one's really tough to, to work through. Yeah. Um, but there were a couple of other things. You know, this kingdom is going to break in pieces all the other kingdoms. So it's going to be the most powerful kingdom. 
And how many kingdoms in history have really done that, been that universal? I mean, do you think that the um, this Babylonian kingdom really had much of an impact even on Egypt? Not really. Um, what, what Whatever was going on in the Americas at the time, they didn't even know those existed. Yeah. And this kingdom is going to break in pieces all... He says all these kingdoms. And it's going to bring them to an end, though. And there's only one kingdom I can think of that's going to bring to an end all government. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the kingdom of God. And it hasn't happened yet, but no. one day that will be the kingdom. And one last thing is that it will stand forever. So now yeah. we have to be talking about a spiritual kingdom, which echoes what Jesus says to Pilate right. you know, in John eighteen thirty six, 36, uh, my kingdom is not of this world. So there's you know some very clear signposts here that point towards the New Testament church and the kingdom of God. Right. Um, yeah, it's really interesting that we're two chapters into Daniel and we already have a, you know, we already have Christ, the time of Christ, the prophecies of Christ being the center of our discussion. Yeah. I think that's pretty neat. Yeah, I do too. Well, uh, considering that the time this is written, uh, I mean, this is a message of hope for the people. And so that kind of gets into kind of our yeah. application. Mm-hmm. But you think about it being in Daniel's shoes at this time, in a time of, well, Babylon might have had a lot of effect on a lot of different people, but it had effect on the people of Jerusalem um, or God's people. And then so you think about it in this instance, the whole point that they were supposed to, you know, Babylon was to conquer them was to kind of uh, cause them to repent and turn back to him. But even in this uh, captivity, even in this difficult time for them, they have hope. And mm-hmm. so God is revealing that hope towards them. Uh, it's yeah. part of preserving the remnant. Yeah, that's a question I, I really didn't think about a whole lot going into this is, you know, why this vision? Why at this time? And we always read it from our perspective, which is the wrong way to interpret the Bible. I think you, you're you onto something there, Jordan. Um, this was a very important message, not just for us, but a very important message for all those captives who thought it was all over. And Daniel's yeah. saying, it's only just begun. Um, this is all headed towards one particular thing that the Jews are a part of. Mm-hmm. And uh, that had to have been inspiring to them. Yeah. And a lot of the other kingdom prophecies that you read about are the same kind of thing. You know, uh, I think it's Haggai that was uh, trying to encourage the Jews to to rebuild the temple. And they put it off for like 16 years. Mm-hmm. And he said to them, look, the, the next temple is going to be more glorious than Solomon's temple. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't talking about the second temple, the physical temple. He was right. talking about, you know, Jesus Christ. Uh, those, those kinds of kingdom prophecies are all in the prophets, where they tell them God's not through with you. Uh, he has punished you, but there's going to be a remnant. You know, that's a theme that's all over Isaiah and Jeremiah. Yeah. He's going to follow through with the covenant that he made with Abraham centuries before. And in this nation, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Uh, so that's an interesting point. Any Anything else that we want to... I got. I just have a question. Yeah. I just thought of, we can cut this out if you want. Uh, but who are, who are the prophets contemporary with Daniel? So like the other books of prophecy that we read. Yeah. Who else is... 
prophesying uh, at this time. Jeremiah, right? Yeah. So Jeremiah is, Jeremiah stays in Jerusalem while Daniel gets yeah, taken. Yeah, Daniel to was right? Daniel was in the first group taken in six oh five. Yeah. So the city has not yet been destroyed, and we know Jeremiah was in Jerusalem when it and was witnessed destroyed. the destruction yeah. of Jerusalem. So and yeah, then, Jeremiah. I'm just trying to get an idea. And Daniel lived throughout the entire word. captivity. Yeah. So that would also include Ezekiel, mm-hmm. uh, who was taken like in the second group. Yeah. Um, so you've got at least Jeremiah, Ezekiel, mm-hmm. Daniel. And there's something really interesting that Ezekiel says in one of his prophecies, and I wish I could look it up, but he said, uh, do y'all remember that where he says, if these three men were were in Israel, and he names, oh, I wish I had looked this up. I don't know. Uh, these three men, and then he says somebody like Noah, Abraham, and Daniel. Oh, wow. You know where I'm going with that? If these three men... Um, I'm not sure. This is terrible for me to do this on the air, but... <laughs> I'm just going to, you know... Well, it's interesting, too, because you think about Daniel gets put in that position of power and influence, so he definitely would have been well-known enough Look, here it is. for a guy like Ezekiel to bring him up in his prophecy. Yeah, so he says, Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness. So I'm, that's out of context, and I should know the context. So, but Ezekiel was talking about a contemporary of his, and he was he was trying to throw out names of known righteous men to the Jews, and he came up with Noah, the only guy who was saved on earth. Yeah, Job, who is God's best example of a human specimen to Satan. Yeah, and Daniel. That that's pretty amazing about Daniel, I think. So Ezekiel was contemporary, Jeremiah was contemporary, and maybe some others. Yeah. Okay. That's all I know. Uh, Ready for another break? Yes, I'm ready for another cup of coffee, I think. Okay. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll we'll make this stuff practical, and uh, we're just really going to blow your minds. You're not going to believe it. Yeah. Hang with us. third part of our podcast, as you know, this is where we apply what we have been studying. It's always important when you're studying the Bible to make some practical applications and ask, you know, okay, we know what it meant to the original readers. What does it mean to me? And it doesn't matter what part of Scripture you're reading. uh, It's going to have some kind of practical application, which is one of the main purposes of this podcast. So, uh, the first thing that, that we noticed uh, was Daniel's incredible faith, right? Because mm-hmm. he's in a very dangerous situation, and he doesn't seem to flinch. And Jordan had pointed out something that I had never noticed before along that line. Yeah, it's just interesting that the, you know, the king was firm on his word. He was angry, he was very furious, and he commanded all the wise men of Babylon to be destroyed. 
Now, in verse 14, it says, Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. At this point, Daniel's first hearing of this, he's realizing that the wise men are going to be killed. And then in verse 16, it says, Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. What's so interesting is Daniel has no clue. The dream, he doesn't understand the interpretation yet, but he has enough faith in God that God will reveal the dream. And so then we get on, as it kind of goes on, uh, he then gets uh, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and his companions to pray to seek mercy from God to reveal the mystery to him. And in verse 19 is when the, the dream has finally been revealed to Daniel. Now, Daniel is risking his life uh, to go before the king. He, he realizes that his life is at stake, his companion's life are at stake, yet he has enough faith in God and trust him to know that God will reveal this mystery to him. Yeah, that's yeah. You know, a really good point um, to just know that it will happen. It kind of reminds me of some of the Psalms where the psalmist begins praying for, you know, deliverance from an enemy. And then at the end of the psalm, he's saying, praise praise the Lord for you have done it. It's like, well, you only started praying about 30 seconds ago. And, you know, it hasn't actually been done, but the faith is so strong, it is as if it has already happened. And yeah. Daniel is acting as if he already has the interpretation, but he doesn't. And yeah. it, it's it's just it's like a, the night before too. Yeah, and he gets it in a vision of the night, you know, which I suppose means while he's sleeping, he just yeah. goes to bed and expects good things, and he he gets it. The fact that he was able to sleep, <laughs> right? And he Ronnie, went to sleep. Yeah, he had enough comfort in God that he was able to go to sleep yeah. before this, and yeah. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. You feel good about your level of faith. Yeah. And and that's the type of faith we should have, though, is enough trust and faith in God like Daniel had um, to know that that God will, that God's in control. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's kind of silly for us, I guess, sometimes to lie awake at night with different worries here and there. Here's Daniel. He's just said, I'm going to go before the king. I'll tell him what his dream's about. He has no idea. He can die. But he can yeah. fall asleep that night. Yeah. You know, if he could sleep with that kind of stress on his mind, maybe. <laughs> yeah, this was you know. before Ambien. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> nope. And he just goes to sleep. So, uh, that that's real faith. Uh, there's also, you know, this great application on prayer. Yeah. Um. I don't know who wants to take that one. but Well, I'll say something about it. I think there's a couple things on it. Number one, uh, that that is really Daniel's, and we talked about this already with uh, Nehemiah when we did that podcast, where Nehemiah found out Jerusalem was in ruins and his immediate reaction was to go pray. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Daniel gets this bad news, and then he gets his companions together, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they pray. Uh, he, he gets them together and he tells them what's going on. And he verse 18, he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. And how do they do that? Well, they pray. Uh, so I think it's really interesting that Daniel, you know, his first reaction was to call his fellow uh, 
Jews, you know, and meet with them and pray together about what was going on. Mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, it's it's a really neat thing to see that you wish, you know, more people nowadays, when we have an issue, whether or not it affects the whole nation or not, um, you know, but when we have an issue that's important, at least to us, you know, with Daniel, a, a lot of these people are about to be killed. Uh, including himself and these three guys. Maybe that's part of the reason he went directly to them. Um, but, you know, when we have issues, I think it's a good idea for us to, you know, to call on some of our friends uh, and at least say, hey, will you pray for me? Uh, you know, maybe you don't have to all meet in the same room and all pray together. But, you know, I just think it's a really a good encouragement to have, you know, you and a couple of your close companions praying for the issues in your life. Uh, and then the second part of that is that God gives an answer. Because uh, yeah. Daniel gets the answer that night. Right. Um, and, you know, we could talk all day about the kind of answers we get to prayer. Um, yeah. You know, the answer might not always be a vision in the night or, you know, telling yeah. us exactly what we wanted to know. And Daniel, Daniel is a book with lots of applications on prayer. We yeah. we run into that again in chapter six, and again in chapter nine, if memory serves. Yeah, right. Uh, one of the best prayers in inspiration mm-hmm. is in Daniel nine, and what's funny about that is a lot of people don't even know about that one. So mm-hmm. I look forward to to going to that. Uh, you know, we said I'm moving on to a third thing. Last episode, we said that the theme of this book is the sovereignty of God. And we saw a little of it in chapter 1. You know, and of course, this is the perfect background to prove that because it's about a man who is away from the holy city. He's in a foreign pagan land, and God is in control there just as much as he was in Jerusalem. Yeah. And this chapter is full of declarations of the sovereignty of God, which to remind our listeners, if you have forgotten from the last episode or you're just picking it up here, uh, sovereignty, you know, the word reign is in the word sovereign. And, uh, you know, it has to do with God's supreme authority, basically, in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what are the verses we were looking at? There are several examples in here. 20 and 21 is one I'll read. Daniel says, after he receives the blessing of the vision, he says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Um, I think the one Jordan had brought up in the break was 37. Yeah. Um, and And this is where... Daniel's talking to King Nebuchadnezzar after he tells him what his dream is. He's explaining it. And then he says, You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell. Uh, I mean, Daniel recognizes who's in control. And I think that's why he has as much faith as he does, because he realized God's in control. Uh, that's why they turn to him in prayer is because they realize he's the one in control. Uh, and, I, I mean, you think about that phrase, who removes kings and sets up kings. Mm-hmm. As you go throughout the book of Daniel, you, we get to look back and see God setting up kings and removing kings. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just going to happen in the next two chapters. And they're pretty, they're here, okay, so 
we're in an election season here. I don't know if, you know, we're recording this in uh, 2016. It's February. November, we're going to have a big presidential election. A lot of other seats are up for uh, um, election. And a lot of people are really confused right now because the front runners, and this may change next month, so I'm not going to name any names because it's kind of funny when you look back on what you thought would happen. It yeah. doesn't happen. I hope that's the case here, but we, the front runners, there are no godly front runners in this race right now. Yeah. Would, would you all agree with that? Yes. Yeah, I don't want to get into a political debate, <laughs> but it's pretty safe to say Whoa. that, uh, you know, no representatives of God on the, in the front runners. There are others that are falling behind that, you oh, know, no. Christians are saying, well, this guy, you know, he's going to be a godly man, or this guy's, this, this person will fight for the rights of the unborn, or this person will, you know, Whatever it is. One of them is pretty familiar with the writings of two Corinthians. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> we had the whole two Corinthians <laughs> debacle, which uh, must never be forgotten. But, uh, yeah. you know, we look at that, and we see what's going on, and a lot of people are wringing their hands over this election. And then you study the book of Daniel, and this doesn't seem to be a this point in time statement this seems to be something that has always applied and always will apply that God removes kings and sets up kings that God is to use a political term a king maker he makes kings and we say where is that you know uh, well what kings did he make in the book of Daniel yeah yeah. Nebuchadnezzar who's going to tear people limb from limb Cyrus uh, Darius is Belshazzar yeah. or see he was one of those removed yeah. did you say Darius Darius yeah. he's put in charge uh, of Babylon you know and then you know you have Peter saying honor the emperor talking about Nero the guy who eventually yeah. crucified Peter upside down and how about the kings that were you know that we just got you know chronologically that we just got through with that led to getting the kingdom and the state they're in now. You know, read through... Oh, the kings of first and second Judah. Kings, first and second yeah. Chronicles, yeah. Right. They were Ahab. Terrible people. How did Ahab get in there? Yeah. So it is a mystery. Daniel uses the term mystery a lot here. It's something he's very comfortable with, which is why he's able to say what he says in verse 30. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Daniel was able to maintain his sanity in all of this upheaval because of his great humility and his ability to, to believe in the sovereignty of God and just put things in God's hands. To allow and so God he's like, well, this is the yeah. king God wants to be king right now. I'm going to interpret the dream. I'm going to assume that God's got it under control. A little different from Habakkuk, for example, who says, are you going to allow uh, a nation to be swallowed up by a nation less righteous? Yeah. You know, Habakkuk, you know, a little before Daniel's time, not to criticize Habakkuk. I mean, he, was, he had amazing yeah. faith as well because he was kind of like, at the end of his prophecy, he throws up his hands and he says, oh, well, you know, God, you know what you're doing. Yeah, and I'm even if everything vanishes away, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to believe in you. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's interesting to see guys like Daniel and Joseph and Nehemiah 
who are put in positions of leadership, uh, you know, by the the emperor or the king, or the guy in charge, and to see their attitude as they serve. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Daniel didn't go into the court with an assassination plot. Yeah, to kill uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Nehemiah, you know, definitely had access to kill. That was Xerxes, right? Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes. Okay. Uh, So Nehemiah, you know, served faithfully. Uh, Joseph served Pharaoh faithfully. So it's, you know, it's interesting to see and to learn from their example of how these great men of faith followed their, you know, I guess, earthly political leaders. And then to translate that into, well, how do I follow mine here? Mm -hmm. And, you know, ours are not, you know, we mentioned we don't have any godly guys in the race men or women uh, in the race. Uh, but certainly we would not consider Pharaoh of Egypt who thought he himself was God on earth. Yeah. You know, he's, if he was in the presidential race today, he would not be one of the... He wouldn't no, be a I mean, man either. At least so. our presidential candidates lie and say that they're Christians. Yeah. I'm sorry, that sounded bad, but I mean, though, you know, they can't pronounce books of the Bible, but, you know, they, they feel... They can use Christianity to get get votes. Uh, You know, the men under these days uh, that we're studying, they they don't even bother with that. They serve other gods. They're pandering to other other gods that aren't really gods at all. So I think Daniel's attitude, there'll be a number of other examples of his attitude in the face of um, heathen kings that we could really learn from. Because for one thing... It acknowledges the sovereignty of God. For another thing, it gives you humility. But for another thing, it keeps you from being stressed over things you can't control. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can go cast our vote, which is a small, tiny, fractional, you know, bit of control that we have as Americans, and then that's yeah. all we can do. Now, we can join, you know, I know we can get on somebody's side in a campaign, but look, politics is not the answer. The gospel yeah. is the answer. So we can get back to the business of the gospel. And, you know, the world may burn. It may not. But we're not going to be the ones that decide it. That's kind of Daniel's attitude. Yeah. As I see. we got to move on, right? So, yeah. I, you know, I'll say something real quick about false prophets. Uh, if you're going to teach false pr- prophecy, you're going to get yourself in a bind from time to time. And if yeah. these guys didn't have Daniel whom they will later try to set up and, um, you know, they'll abuse him and probably had been already, uh, they would have been torn limb from limb. It's really easy to tell a false prophet. You don't look at what he looks like or how he talks. You look at what he's teaching, and you compare it to what you know to be true. And if what he's saying compares with what you know to be true, then he's a true prophet. If what he's saying is not what you know to be true he's a false prophet that's the bottom line and Nebuchadnezzar had him because he he was going to say okay I know what the truth is in my head I had this dream you tell me what the dream is and they couldn't do it they were caught we have the word of God and you know we'll recognize false prophets by their fruits Matthew 7 15 and 16 so you know, I think that comes up a lot in the Bible, but it's an important yeah. point to make. I do think it's interesting to note that the distinguishing factor here was 
Daniel, the difference between the false prophets and the true one is that Daniel is really bringing the words of God, just like a prophet is supposed to be a mouthpiece mm-hmm. for God. And so I think about that for us today. You know, I'm thinking of uh, James uh, chapter 1, verse 5. If you lack wisdom, pray for it. Um, and God will give it to you. He gives generously to all. He will grant you wisdom. You know, uh, I think especially for, and if, you know, you're listening, again, if you're listening to this podcast to teach a class, you know, I think it's something that we always kind of worry about in the back of our minds. If, you know, are we teaching truth? Are we, are we, you know, making sure we are not false teachers in what we teach? Uh, well, where does that come from? Uh, where does the truth come from? The truth comes straight from God. That's where Daniel got his. Um, and that's where we get ours, too. We get ours from the Word of God, which we're sitting here reading from today. Uh, study and prayer. Uh, and I think that's really important to, you know, John talks to John or Peter and test John testing the spirits, yeah. right? First mm-hmm. John 4. 1. Yeah, First yeah, John 4. You know what's interesting? Even the... Uh, even these false prophets, these magicians and sorcerers, they realized that they could not do the thing that Nebuchadnezzar was asking without God. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Yeah, that's right. Verse 11, it says, The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not in the flesh. Now, they kind of thought of the gods as probably their, you know, their pagan gods, but even in, their, you know, even in this, they have some wisdom in them because they realize that if someone could do this, it's only by God that mm-hmm. they could do it. And Daniel shows yeah. that it was by God by being able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think That's that leads point. right into the last point for it to go on to mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Daniel does interpret the dream, he is very uh, clear that when he begins, he repeats that same thing that you just mentioned, Jordan. Uh, verse 27, Daniel tells the king, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or astrologer can show to you uh, showed to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Uh, then you get down to verse 30. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order to make the interpretation, uh, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to you, the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. So he tells him basically that God is the one revealing this dream to you, not me. It's God, not me. And so he gives God the glory, first of all. And in turn, Nebuchadnezzar will also give God the glory. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, it reminds me of Matthew chapter 5, where, uh, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus tells us that we're the light of the world, salt of the earth. And he tells us that we need to glorify God so that others will see our good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Yeah. Uh, so I think we it's a lesson for me, I guess, to be um, always making sure that in everything I do, God's getting the glory for it. Because if other people see me giving glory to God, um, then possibly uh, you know they can they can be giving glory to God too through my influence. Uh-huh. So I think we all need to be really mindful of the influence that we have on other folks every day. Now, we might not be interpreting our friends' dreams on a day-to-day <laughs> basis uh, without them even telling what the dream is. You know, maybe if you're a psychologist, you can dabble in telling somebody yeah. what their dreams are. I don't know how that works. Yeah. But, 
call a specialist in for that. Maybe maybe on another episode. But uh, Jordan, thanks, man, for joining us. Uh, you're in an elite group. Uh, this is our third guest. I hope to have Jordan back, and uh, you know maybe maybe very soon. Maybe while we're still in Daniel, help us work this out. But uh, you know we're glad that uh, you listened, and uh, we always look for feedback. Love to hear from you. Uh, you can get our contact information off of the66.net. Uh, follow us on Twitter. The Twitter handle is the 66 podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got a Facebook page. We don't put much up on it. Uh, yeah, that's right. But we, we have one. Uh, maybe if more people would like it, we would be more ambitious to to put things on it. And of course, right. uh, you can follow us on iTunes. Leave a review. It'd be great to get a rating or review. Uh, we're climbing the ranks, and I think we've discovered that the best thing that you can do for us is just keep listening. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about a statue again. But unfortunately, this one's not going to be inside the head of the king. He's going to build it. So hope that uh, you'll come. Uh, Daniel's going to kind of take a sideline for next chapter. We're going to learn about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That ought to be interesting. So join us next time on The 66. Thank you.